Did you enjoy part one of episode 76 of The Vincast, Australia's premier wine podcast? It was with Nathan Reeves. If you're listening to this and you haven't heard it yet, definitely go back and listen to it. But if you did listen to it and you enjoyed it and you're interested to find out how you can actually buy some Out of Step Wine Co. wines for yourself, then definitely head to differentdrop.com forward slash intrepid wino, where there is a special section on the Different Drop website dedicated to guests of this podcast. Uh, Different Drop, if you haven't heard me mention before, is an online wine retailer based in Sydney, and they only work with Australian wine wineries of authenticity, provenance, and innovation. Usually small batch wines, uh, they can only source wines in very small volumes, so it's always a good idea to uh, to make sure to jump on any new wines I have available as soon as you can to make sure that you don't miss out. And uh, why not go and put together a little uh, out-of-step wine co pack and make sure you're putting in the code IntrepidWino at purchase to get yourself a 10% discount uh, for any wines that you buy. Uh, thank you very much, Different Drop, for your support of this podcast, for your support of the guests of this podcast. And thanks, guys, for listening to another episode. Episode 76, part two of the Vincast. I chat with the other half of the Out of Step Wine Co., Dave Chatfield. Hello there, Vincasters, and welcome to another episode, or part two of another episode of the Vincast. My name is James Skesbrook, otherwise known as the Intrepid Wino. And if you haven't, if, if, if I haven't mentioned already, if you haven't listened to uh, the most recent episode of the Vincast, that's actually part one of this episode that you're currently listening to. Uh, so as I mentioned um, on the last episode, I was contacted by my guest for this week, representing his business out of Step Wine Co. After he saw my uh, YouTube Let's Taste uh, video, uh, uh, tasting one of their Chardonnay wines from a previous vintage. And um, and when he reached out, I uh, invited both himself and his business partner on as guests of the podcast. But what I thought I'd do is uh, sort of sit down with them separately to get their individual experiences, their backgrounds, to kind of learn a little bit about how they both uh, approaching the the project together. So um, my guest on this episode is Dave Chatfield. Uh, Dave uh, had a uh, quite an interesting and successful uh, career in the music industry, uh, and um, you know some of the some of the the musicians, the groups he mentions are pretty uh, astounding. And uh, and so he it's really it was really fascinating kind of hearing how his experience with wine and his passion for, uh, for sorry his experience with music his passion for music. Uh, kind of influenced uh, the way he, that he views wine and the kind of wines that he wanted to make. So uh, I do uh, hope you enjoyed this this really fascinating chat that I had with Dave. I certainly did. Um, please stick around to the end of the episode so you can find out how to get in contact with myself and Dave uh, to thank him for being on the podcast. But uh, until then, I will see you on the other side.
David, thank you very much for making some time to be on the Vincast. Thanks, James. How are you going? Uh, not too bad. More importantly, thank you very much for sitting through that lovely chat that we <laughs> I just had with, uh, with Nathan. So, now I can just correct the record. Like, <laughs> no, no, when no. he said this, <laughs> what he actually means yeah. is. Yeah. Um, but as you would have heard, I ask my guest, uh, just to start off with, if they can remember um, that first interaction with wine that made you really sort of sit up and take notice. About yeah, it. I'm familiar with your... Uh, your questions? <laughs> oh, he's come freak, prepared. Freak, frequent listener. I have thought about this question, actually. Um, the earliest recognition or memory that I have of, of wine is my father was really into wine. Yeah. And so I'm a child of the sort of 70s and 80s. And I suppose in that era, he was very into sort of Henschke and Penfolds and those sort of things. But he also loved Tawny's and ports and yeah like muskets and things where so, did you grow up uh in sydney yeah oh, so okay. he was he'd do sort of you know forays into the hunter and mudgy and orange and rather glen and those sort of places and was he some it, form of professional uh he was i suppose an entrepreneur for oh, okay. a better word but he had a pretty amazing seller yeah um of iconic australian producers sure and um i had very little interest in wine through much of my childhood and adult life. But one thing he used to do when I was sick was give me a liqueur musket mm. to, uh, I don't know, ward off whatever germs were attacking my system. And I don't know that that would be smiled upon in this day and age, but I thought it was pretty cool when I was, you know, 11 or 12 years old. Is it musket or tokay that kind of has that tea smell? Uh, well, usually that's tokay. Yeah. Because yeah. so I would think that would be really good for when you've got a cold. Look, I can't say for certain what he was giving me and how watered down it was or, or, or whatever. But, um, yeah, I remember being really amazed with the flavour and the intensity and, you know, the really, yeah, just beautiful beauty of those wines. Okay. But I was a little kid. Sure. And then I suppose for a long time wine for me was just an alcohol delivery system. I was really into music and I worked in the music industry for a long, long time and, you know, you don't get good wine at, music venues generally. Mm. Um, so I was drinking primarily beer. But I guess as as that music business became more and more successful, uh, we were taking, you know, I was touring international bands and we were taking them out to fancy restaurants and drinking some pretty good booze. And I was suddenly like, whoa, this is... So this is probably 10 years ago now. Yeah. I was like, hang on, there's, there's something else going on here. And I remember one of the, the, the clearest memories I have, and it's probably not a wine that I would... I'd probably enjoy drinking it now, but it's philosophically not where my head is at with wine, but drinking a Yatana and just going, holy hell, like this is Chardonnay. Yeah. And being absolutely blown away by the purity and intensity and length and concentration and complexity of that wine. And yeah, and then just getting, well, I guess, you know, leading into my, my sort of stories, you know, getting more and more disillusioned with music and more and more enamored with food and wine and going, you know, I don't want to die wondering, so I wonder if I could learn how to make wine. So, so yeah. going back, with your family, did your parents drink wine at home? Oh, yeah, and, every, and, every night. With dinner? Yeah, yeah. So, so they, whether you're aware of it or not, they kind of possibly instilled that kind of idea uh, of what it, wine was for. It was to be enjoyed, was yeah. to be shared and to be had with food. Oh, de most definitely. And there was a lot of, you know, raucous dinner parties where I'd be a little kid sort of supposed to be asleep upstairs but sitting at the top of the, the stairway just listening to the, the chaos going on downstairs and then come back come down the next morning and find all these empty wine bottles of, you know, I suppose classic sort of, you know, hunter 
producers and like I mentioned earlier, you know, other iconic Australian producers and Well better I empty mean, wine bottles than wine casks. I yeah, think. yeah. No, we were never a, a goon family. No. Um but yeah, like it was it was pretty lost on me for my teens and even my father died when I was well, I was not that young, but I was in my twenties and left a, an amazing cellar that my mother has proceeded to destroy. And I, it really didn't mean anything I, to I me. I really hope you didn't mean that. Literally. No, I didn't mean that. That literally, <laughs> okay, I mean good. metaphorically, as in <laughs> she, she drank it, and yeah. But um, yeah. So no, wine was always this thing of yeah that that was about food and about enjoyment with friends. Sure, and, sure. And yeah, and and something else I remember vividly that my father did that I now do is is like at least once a year he'd pull every wine out of his cellar. And put them down and go through his checklist and catalog them, catalog them Jeez. and figure out what he was going to drink and when, and then put them back away in that order. And it's not lost on me that, yeah, I now do this. And yeah, yeah, it's, it's pretty weird learned behavior. But, um, yeah. So, so what were you doing in the music industry and how did you end up in the music industry? Oh, uh, look, I ended up in the music industry. Because, Were you a musician as well? Oh, I was a terrible musician, but <laughs> I, I, I attempted to be a musician in my teenage and early 20 years, but I proved to be, yeah. Musical influences? Oh, look, man, I mean, it's like, you know, I like good music. That's what I like to tell people. <laughs> I, I guess, you know. I, I, That's why people say, wait, like, what's your favourite one? Yeah. Oh, good wine. Yeah, yeah. But I, I suppose, you know, when you become a real, really fixated as, as I had the tendency to do with with things that I become passionate about. I got really, really into music and just became one of those guys who I suppose in my early 20s was probably a real geek and um, just used to go to see bands six nights a week and had wow. lots of friends who were in bands and, you know, this was just kicking around the periphery of the industry. Just completely immerse yourself. Yeah, and then a, a, I'd, I'd done a business degree and a friend of mine um, – Nick Dalton had a record label called Half a Cow and he went off to join the Lemonheads yep. and asked me to run his label while he was overseas. So yep. I was 21 years old, I think, and went, yeah, I'll have a crack at this. <laughs> and, um, yeah, and then from there... I, the I, music industry is probably one of the only ones where 21 year olds are like, yeah, I'll give it a crack. <laughs> that or maybe a skateboarding company. Yeah, yeah. Well, look, I, you know, he, he just picked me because I knew all the bands and I... Fair enough. I, I seemed trustworthy and responsible as, as well <laughs> seemed. as... Seemed. Yes, as well as being, you know, somebody who, who socialized yeah um and then from there you know i got involved in australian music for quite a long time in sydney and then decided i wanted to tour some international bands and sort of hooked up with a, a mate who wanted to do the same and we started bringing out international acts to australia just putting everything on our credit cards and Far out. yeah and taking what in hindsight were massive risks and yeah, yeah. bringing these underground bands to australia this is you know sort of pre- I suppose alternative music becoming mainstream or whatever and commercially successful. Yeah, and we used to be able to deal direct with the band. So there were no managers, agents, you know, it was all really simple and it was all just profit share and it's sort of if you pay for our flights, we'll come kind of thing. So yeah, there was no real well, there was a market for it. It's just the mainstream didn't know the market existed. So we brought out, you know, things like smog and I don't know, lamb chop and Guided by Voices and Yola Tango and yeah, so we did wow. a lot of these tours, you know, very naively, but now quite considered successfully. like you know, the darlings of rage at sort of three in the yeah. morning. <laughs> yes, and from there I kind of met, um, you know, more and more people at I guess who owned venues and people were, were sort of offering to help fund our business to grow it, and sure, I ended up 
partnering up with a guy in Melbourne who owned the punters club in Melbourne and yeah, still so. owns the corner and Northcote social club, or he's one of the guys who owns the consortium of people who own yeah, those yeah. venues. And we set up a touring company and, um, yeah, I did that for till sort of 2013. I finally extricated myself from that because I just had had enough and yeah. I really wanted to pursue something else. And yeah. And I'd become really passionate about, about wine. And so I came to wine pretty late and with not a lot of knowledge either, but, um, but, but yeah. I think what's interesting is in the same way that you kind of immerse yourself in music when, when you kind of were yourself geeking out about it, yeah, you were just passionate about it. You kind of, sounds like you sort of discovered wine and kind of, sort of got more and more interested and kind of went, oh, I could, there's yeah. so much to know about this. I just yeah. want to immerse myself in wine. I suppose wine. it's, yeah. Not I mean, literally. It's, it's about literally. things that evoke emotions in you. So I always exactly. just had a really strong emotional reaction and connection to music. And even when I was, a, you know, a preteen into really shit pop music, I was the kid at school tipping everyone else off about what the next hit song was. Yeah. And then, yeah, obviously discovered there's this world of music that's far more interesting than what people would like you to believe is out there or, you know, the less commercial kind of music. And I went backwards as well and, you know, got into music from, you know, the 50s and 60s and 70s mm. and whatever. And, yeah, and then got really into the underground sort of punk scene and yeah, yeah and cool. just kind of kept finding more and more. It's like wine. You keep just finding more and more interesting niches of people who are – not doing things that are high volume or commercial, but are really fascinating and really genuine expressions of, you know, of and in what the same, they're, they're into. So. In, in the same way that, you know, you, you want to find wi uh, authentic wines, wines yeah. that speak about where they're from and yeah. like every region's different, every wine, every variety is different. Yeah. You, did you kind of like listening to different styles of music, but like kind of gravitate well, towards the, the, the artists that had their own voice within that's, that? That's a, that's that a genre? really fundamental thing, yeah, is that I, I kind of never liked things that were that easy to pigeonhole. Like as soon as, you know, it, you could give it a label, it was a bit lost on me, I suppose. And, you know, that that's just a personal approach what's a great quote from uh, wayne's world if you label me you negate me <laughs> yeah <laughs> yes but um yeah no so like it was yeah i obviously yeah i i probably find more interest to me in yeah things that are that that, that are really i that i think are really genuine expressions of well for me with wine it's about a site it's not about a winemaker sure it's about a place sure and obviously with music, it's about a, a musician or a songwriter or whatever. So, yeah. yeah. In the same way you get into the studio and you just want to capture the pure essence of the music and not fuck it up, basically. Yeah. Not, yeah, not, that, not put too many effects and stuff like that or yeah, what's that stupid that was thing philosophically, that, that, what, I suppose, coming out of someone who's really into, you know, not, not what people call auto -tune. now, but, but, you know, sort of into, and, and I don't know, all, all genres of music, but trying to trying to figure out the things that were pure expressions and that weren't made, I suppose, in a contrived or conscious kind of attempt to, you know, tick some genre-related yeah. boxes and have a yeah. commercial success. So, yeah, and I, I, that's to me that's one of the really amazing things about wine is that it's that European approach to it where it's, it is about sight. It's not about the – it's less about the winemaker being the, you know – the rock star, it's about the site being the rock star kind mm. of thing. So, yeah. So, as you sort of started to uh, experience more about wine, this was as you were kind of entertaining your uh, 
your clients overseas guests were. yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Uh, what sort of places were you dining at oh uh, like all the classic sort of melbourne you know two had re- had two and three had restaurants M- I suppose mcconnell all restaurants yeah yeah and taxi and azad yeah and, and press club and yeah, yeah all sorts of places so we depending on how successful the tour was <laughs> <laughs> so you know the people who were making us big dollars would, would get the big dollar dinner but yeah. i suppose yeah you just yeah, the business kind of grew and, and became busier and busier and you're always, you know, involved in entertaining these people and I suppose, you know, you want to show them good Australian, a good Australian experience. So you want to show them that Australian food is really world-class and that Australian wine is really world-class. So, yeah, you, you, you kind of you sort of feel you have that passion about it and you want that's, the, that's what you want them to, to leave with that impression. It's just... Were you connecting with the sommeliers at this at this? No, stage? not not at all. The odd one. I mean, there's a lot of people in wine who are really into music, obviously, mm-hmm. and that sort of enabled me to transition a bit. But it was more meeting winemakers who were really into music enabled me to get vintage jobs and have little sabbaticals from music and go to oh, okay. vintage somewhere. But um. No, look, I was oh, at this point. I wasn't. Are, studying are we? Are enough. we talking yeasty boys? <laughs> Not directly, no. Although you know, <laughs> Proudy's a, a good mate of ours. But um, no, Steve Flamsey was probably the first person. Sure. Who, when I when I you know finally managed to negotiate with the touring business, which you know I was a partner in, um, to get leave to go do a vintage. I'd been doing my degree, my winemaking degree, for a few years. Um, I just was emailing people and making really impassioned pleas that I have no experience, but I really want to do this. And mm. Flamo bit because he's really into music, so he was like, "Come in and have a chat." <laughs> so, and what what did he like? Look at your CV and go, "Whoa, I, what's I, all this music stuff?" Yeah, well, I had nothing nothing wine based on my CV other than I'd been studying a wine making degree, right? Um, and you know, I wasn't I wasn't like a in my twenties. I was yeah older, and so. I, yeah, some people would go, what's this guy trying to do, you know, make this transition mm. from one career to another or one industry to another. But, yeah, he was he's really into music and he's an awesome guy. He's, he's become a really good mate. And he just, yeah, sent me an email going, come in and have a chat. And so I did and then he's like, come and work vintage. So I did. And um, So taking it back, at, at a certain point you said, look, I'd I'd like to get more into into the wine industry and wine making was the path you kind of wanted to go down. Yeah, yeah. Did you think about any, doing anything else? No, because I don't know. To me, if you're really into something, I suppose with music, you know, I'd tried to make it and I wasn't very good at it, and I sure. ended up taking another direction in that. And I was never a frustrated musician. I just accepted the fact that I wasn't great at making music. And but yeah, I, I loved music. I was never so much into the. There's a lot of ego. There's a lot of kind of there's there's a lot of weird shit that goes on in the music industry. And I was just fundamentally someone who loved music and wanted to bring out bands that I admired. Mm. And that, as the business grow grew, became a little more cloudy because you you know you've got staff and you've got relationships with agents overseas, and you know they want you to work with their acts, and you sort of end up yeah you you know if you if you if you have strong ethical feelings about it, you feel a little bit compromised. But if you find just to go, well, it's a business, then, you know, you're fine. But I struggled with that a bit and I struggled with a lot of the ego and, and things in the in, in that, that industry. Um, sorry, what, what was your original question? I've muddled. 
Why? Wait. So you chose to to go. Okay. Into yeah. So so what what sort of happened is I guess yeah I, I became more and more disillusioned with music and felt that yeah I, I really wanted to learn how to make wine as I started drinking more and more interesting wines and you know going out to visit wine regions and yeah just something I just wanted to explore and it just seemed logical to me that if I was that passionate about this this thing wine like why wouldn't I want to learn how to make it so, yeah. And I didn't quite know, as sort of your chat with Nath alluded to, no, neither of us quite knew where it was going, but it was just something we were we got on to of, you know, I want to learn how to make this. And mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, but just, it sounds like it's a pretty similar path you had in music in terms of, well, okay, you're 21, yeah, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll take on the, this record label and oh, let, let's take some risks with, the, with you know, the, the, the acts that we're touring with and that sort of thing. So it's like, yeah, I'm going to give winemaking a crack. Yeah, I, I don't know. That's just a bit of a, a personal sort of approach to life is like, you know, I didn't want to lead a safe <laughs> kind of, you know, button down sort of, yeah, a secure job. Um, yeah, I just wanted to have fun and do things I enjoy. And follow my passion. You have good reason to do it. Yeah. If you're passionate about it. It may, it may be much to my financial detriment, but, you know, so be it. <laughs> I've eaten well. I've drunk yeah, well. Yeah, exactly. It's about <laughs> life. It's about the experience. Yeah. If you enjoy what you do. Exactly. Exactly. So, yeah, that's sort of, that's sort of been, yeah, the road of the, the two careers that I've, you know, been on today is just following, yeah, being really passionate about something, but having a bit of a entrepreneurial sense and a, a bit of business now and, yeah, figuring out how can how can I make this work and so were you studying at MIT as well? Yeah, so in in two thousand and nine, I started in that degree. Um, I'm a proud dropout now, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, I did all my chem, I did my tasting subjects. I learned a lot. Like it was awesome, and I realised how little I knew when I started. And wine's like one of those things that the more you know, the less the real you know, the more you realise that you don't. Bugger all kind of mm. thing. So just that it's sort of unfolding in front of you. But yeah, I didn't know much at all, um, and it was it was awesome. But I think similar to what Nath said to you earlier, it was teaching you to make wines. That I was drinking wines and I was looking at, finding out how they were made, and I was going, "This isn't what we're being told." So yeah, or the, the way vineyards were being looked after, and then you you taste a wine from a certain grower, and you go, "Well, they don't manage their vineyard this way at all." So it. it it was awesome in that it's it, not it, possible this wine can taste so good because yeah. it's not what we're being told is the good well, way of working. I think, you know, it's obvious that, that degrees have a responsibility to deliver to the market the best possible candidates for jobs and the jobs are with big wineries. Mm, so, absolutely. And, that, and that's cool. And they don't expect you to go, actually go out on your own and... Well, at that point they didn't. It seems to me now that a lot of people who are doing winemaking degrees are wanting to go out on their own and... That's really great. It's a pretty cluttered market space, you know. Well, like you, that might be their second or even their third career, and yeah. they're going, "Look, I might, I might actually be independently wealthy, or yeah. you know, I might not have a, Do you know a really solid." Day. <laughs> <laughs> but, well, um, I mean, if you look at if you look at what happened back in the eighties and I guess the early nineties as well, when you've got like hobby farmers yeah. in places like the Mornington Peninsula and uh, the Yarra Valley. You know, these people were professionals. Like yeah. they, they might, Doctors you know, have, get a pretty yeah. decent salary. Um, you know, as 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 you say, doctors, lawyers, or you know, in, you know, in uh, finance, something like that. Yeah, and they kind of just go, oh, this. Is, well, I mean, partly, surely, it's it's you know, it's, it is, it was, maybe, is it still a nice little tax write off? 
Um, I don't know if they're the, I, don't, I think I changed the, the returns it now. are as yeah wonderful as but, they were um, back then. But, but you know, they just kind of did it. Yeah, yeah. Because because they they wanted to do it and they wanted something else to do, you know. And then eventually they kind of went, well, I'm going to quit my yeah. my job, you know, even if it's my own sort of law firm or, or doctor's practice. Yeah. And I'm I'm just going to dedicate myself to this full time. We, we of course what I approached it from being stone broke, yeah, <laughs> having no money. But um, yeah, and but that's just- that's punk rock one. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly not not the overt intention to be punk rock or anything but it was just it was just this thing of hey guitars and drums cost money they do they do and so does recording you know studio time that kind of thing so do barrels (laughs) and fruit but yeah it was kind of and that's the way we've approached the business is just to grow it under our own steam under you know being able to reinvest so we both work yeah other jobs to do this it's certainly you know a massive priority for us and i think you know in the not too distant future one or both of us will be devoted full time which will be awesome but we've had to just keep reinvesting yeah um, yeah and yeah and we you know we we, we want to make five or six different wines or probably more a year so it just means you know you're adding every year you're not we're not just making more sav or more shardy where yep. we're at, at chopping, yeah. chopping and changing vineyards and yeah so it, it, it never ceases to amaze me how much i can go out to my customers and every time i say so what's new Get something new for me. <laughs> they, always, they, they just want to see new stuff all the time. Yeah. If you're a regular listener of the Vincast, you'll know that uh, I don't really uh, go into a lot of detail, like technical information about wines. I don't really like to uh, to talk about the, the sort of fundamentals of a wine or really go into too detail about tasting notes and certainly don't uh, really give a rating for wines. But if that's the kind of thing that you are interested in and uh, how can you not be, it's a really great resource, then I definitely recommend checking out Wine Companion, who is uh, another supporter of this podcast. Wine Companion uh, is an annual wine guide uh, about Australian wines. Uh, there's also a magazine that comes out very regularly uh, with articles written by fantastic wine writers around the country, some of whom have been on this, po- this very podcast, uh, but also has fantastic tasting notes, ratings, uh, vintage information, uh, particularly on their website, winecompanion.com.au. Uh, if you are interested in subscribing to uh, any kind of package with Wine Companion, as a bonus, uh, listening to this podcast, if you put in the code INTREPID30 at purchase, you'll actually get a 30% discount from Wine Companion. So it's an amazing saving, very generous from the guys uh, at Wine Companion. Uh, and I certainly uh, appreciate their support of uh, this podcast and I appreciate you listening. But um, so working with Steve uh, at um, Giant Steps was yep. your first sort of official that was, wine that was a, job? Oh, I, did, I did some – I helped a guy, Mark Matthews, who does Caledonia Australis and does a lot of contract stuff. So he has a vineyard out in Gippsland, Gippsland and then okay. winery in Sunbury. So I sort of helped him in, ele- in 11, but 11, you know, there wasn't a lot of fruit in 11, so it was a bit of a non-event in yeah. terms of vintage. And he was he was great. He was um, – he's a friend to this day as well. And, um, yeah, I basically just went to his winery after work every day and hung out and did whatever he needed me to do and just tried to pro pick, bono. pick up. Yeah, yeah. It was just oh, – he ended up, you know, I think he gave me some wine. I can't remember. But it was it – was, that wasn't what it was about. It was yeah. just about trying to get some experience and try to – Nice gesture though. Yeah, and learn, you know, learn and, and get a feel for it and I guess get a sense of what goes on and – I suppose like what Nath was alluding to too is you kind of, 
not that this was Mark's approach, but you sort of realize after doing a few vintages that it's a really industrial process, especially at, you know, bigger scales. Yeah, of course. And your romantic notions of how wine's made can be uh, crushed pretty quickly, no pun intended. But, um, yeah, but there are other ways to do things. And that's what, what I suppose what we realize without a step is we can have a, a much more hands-off approach with our winemaking and make it more about sourcing premium fruit. And, you know, you start to, yeah, like, like I was saying earlier, is you start to taste wines and you go, well, this was wild fermented and hasn't been fine, hasn't been filtered and it's vibrant and alive and it's juicy and delicious and changes in the glass. And, yeah, and, and that's what interests me. It's It's not about producing a, a consistent house style of wine from a variety every year. It's about expressing the site and the season and, yeah, winemaking's interventionist enough, I think, with trellising and training and picking dates and, you know, choosing how you're going to ferment it and those sort of things that do you need to add all these other chemicals and go through all these other processes or can it be something that can be just a little bit more expressive of where it's from and how it was grown and... Mm. and the year it was mm. grown in. So that's kind of been, yeah, our approach from the outset. And they're the ones that kind of excite me as well. So do you think um, it has a lot to do with that kind of new wave of Australian winemaking and all these, you know, a lot of great wines coming out now from younger, more dynamic, more kind of uh, like not in that, classic model of you have to buy a vineyard and, and plant it and wait for it to to be bearing decent fruit you have to invest in in a facility and you have to invest in all the right equipment and stuff like that whereas now you know it's it's a lot more um you know i think it has a lot to do with with the global financial crisis and the fact that you know a lot of markets overseas have sort of stopped buying a lot of australian wine that has allowed you know, accessibility to fruit. Yeah. I, I don't know where we fit in that. And it's really hard to, to know when it's you doing it. And also, you know, I wasn't aware of them when we started and maybe a lot of those guys. So what were the was, wines that you were drinking that kind of, uh, I suppose more interested, were they, they were Australian wines? Yeah. Yeah. They were in a, probably a lot of European wines to be honest as okay. well. So getting just, just drinking more Chablis and Burgundy and then reading about the producers and drinking more Italian wine as well. Okay. And Sicilian wine. And yeah, yeah, and I, I don't know, I guess that's probably where my head is a lot of the time still anyway. But, yeah, I didn't I didn't have a consciousness about that there was anything going on in Australia. I didn't – yeah, it's not like we're not innovators in what we've done. And I know there's a lot of guys who have been going longer than us who've only made their name in, the you know, the last four or, four or five years that make great wines like, you know, Jam Sheet and Nakota Barrels and, and those guys. But – yeah, my awareness wasn't of them when we started. Um, but you, you, you must have been tasting the wines and, and then connecting with them to then say, well, what's this one and this one got in common compared to all the other stuff that I'm not really yeah, excited about? Yeah, yeah. But I suppose, yeah. Look, I was probably more focused on, on Europe, to be honest. Sure, and, okay. Yeah, and, and drinking as widely as I could. And um, and then, yeah, I suppose as we started to make wine, then then I became more aware of these other Australian producers who okay. had similar philosophical or stylistic sort of approaches to us and yep. would taste their wines and go, wow, they're really exciting wines. Okay. And, but, yeah, um, and some of them we know well and, you know, we're friends with and others I've never met and I just admire their wines from a distance. And, well, there's yeah. certainly a lot of exciting stuff happening in the Yarra Valley, for example. You know, yeah. Even people who are based in the Yarra Valley. Yeah. Gary... 
only has one wine, I think, from the Yarra Valley. Yeah, I mean, Luke, Luke Lambert's he, wines, yeah. are, I think, are, are sure. really interesting. And, yeah. yeah. And they, they were wines I probably was aware of when we were starting, definitely. Um, and certainly you're, you're getting some fruit from arguably one of the most exciting vineyards in the country right now, which is the Simon Yarra Vineyard. Yeah, yeah, we, we didn't. We candles. didn't this year. Oh, okay. <laughs> We're not planning to next year. Well, we took Shardy from there, and they bloody pulled it out. <laughs> what? So, yeah, Shardy is great. You'd have to talk to to Stew about that one. But <laughs> yeah, I, I don't, I'm not going to speculate as to. I'll invite. I'll invite him on in the name. The rationale. Him. Well, he's a, he's a great guy, <laughs> Stu. Um, but yeah, um, look, well, that Shardy was yeah really exciting fruit we felt but anyway they have other plans as to what they're doing sure okay and it's their vineyard so you know they can do what they want yeah we did a shiraz from there in 14 as well yeah um which was you know mostly whole bunch and no new oak and yeah so trying to make you know a pretty floral kind of medium bodied sort of you know juicy yeah yarra shiraz um yeah but you know great great site and not to say we wouldn't go back there um yeah, but we're restless too. We like to. We've got sort of core core wines that we do and core vineyards that we we, we buy from. So the Nebbiolo is an ongoing thing. Yeah. The Lusatia Park Sav will hang on for that to that as long as we can. Yeah. Um, although the vineyard's just been sold, so that's uh, a little bit of uncertainty there. That's actually my day job too. Oh, working okay. In that vineyard, yeah. So um, oh, it's an even more of an emotional connection. I don't know. <laughs> But um, yeah, yeah. Look at who knows what's going to happen there. It's it's. So when you met Nathan, uh, when you were both studying, yeah, ha- had you both kind of formulated an an idea about the kind of wines that you liked? And I don't think so. I think I was probably drinking a lot of stuff that I I'd really turn my nose up at now. <laughs> but that's that's kind of part of the journey, isn't it? Is you sort of well, how did you kind of both come together and sort of realize that, look, this is the, these are the kind of wines that I like. Oh, I like them too. Hey, do you want to do some wines together with that in mind? I think I think we've got common ground, but I also think we probably don't like the same stuff either. And that's part of, you know, we drink different things and we challenge each other with wines. So we've got enough common ground in a philosophy and, and that philosophy is about, you know, I hate putting labels on things, but is about, you know, minimal intervention, yeah. winemaking. Yeah, that's that's exactly what I'm talking yeah. about. Yeah. So, yeah, but I, we don't always agree on what's a, a delicious wine. Sure. But, but that doesn't but mean... But that's exactly the point with yeah. wine is that it's completely yeah. subjective. It doesn't mean the wine isn't good. No. It's just that, that I didn't mean love that it and he does love it or vice versa. It. So, yeah, okay. And that's, it's, you know, we don't want... It, where we agree is on faulty wines or wines that are boring. Yeah. So, or <laughs> or wines that don't necessarily taste like where they don't move from. you. Like wine's got to move you one way or another. So if if you don't feel passionate about it, then I don't know. There's certainly a lot of wine. wine. There's certainly a lot of the wine out there that I kind of go, yeah, it's all right. Yeah. yeah. There's nothing wrong with it. It's yeah. just it's not and, very interesting. But that's like music. I don't want to listen to music that I don't that doesn't move me or I don't get excited about. So yeah. Why would I waste my time? Yeah. But anyway, with the right additives, you enjoy. <laughs> yeah, yes, yes. Yeah. Um, and so, when you kind of sat down, where did Out of Step come from, as far as the name? Oh, okay, um, I guess it's the the philosophy behind it is running from the pack. It's about doing your own thing and not being afraid of that, and that not being a bad thing, like just being out of step with what's going on in the world. Sure, I don't know. I just you know, not necessarily bowing to trends. Yeah, and. 
Yeah, and just just doing your own thing and and not being part of a pack. But the actual reference is an old hardcore band called Minor Threat. Who um, okay, the irony is not lost on me. They are a straight edge band who who really uh, yes do not well, embrace the consumption of alcohol, which but- is which is which is out of step in its own way. It's very rebellious. <laughs> there you go. I hadn't thought of that. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, but it, it's just a it was just a, a name I had that I'd used for a music my music company that owned the touring company. So, yeah, I had my own company that was sort of owned the touring. That's why when I put out a step into Google, it comes up with, I was like, what's this music thing? Yeah, well, maybe. So, I'd use the name for a while. I don't know. That that wasn't me. I wasn't wasn't ever on Twitter. Well, maybe it's not you, but I I did find some references to to music. Yeah, so it was just a name we liked and I just threw it out there and Nath had to think about it and thought it was, yeah, it, it fitted kind of where we were coming from so and the idea around that that first label because because that first one have the kind of topographical yeah maps i oh, look at just a mate on. of mine who done a lot of music graphic design yeah for me and we just asked him for a label and he was pretty happy to do it for wine yeah so, yeah um why know, not could take those i'd when be they buying it anyway yeah <laughs> so um yeah yeah so that was just just where that came from um and and so when you came together, like what to talk about as far as planning, you know, it's like oh, you know, we've got this one, but what could what else could we do? What could we do next year? I think, yeah, I mean, you know, going back, probably most of our planning meetings, we were, we ended up fairly intoxicated, I'd say. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, we just we just talked about varieties we liked, and it was always about. Um, varieties or styles or, or like wines from certain places yeah i was gonna yeah gonna say it's, it was about varieties and regions so sure, what, okay. what works well and why do we like these wines yeah um so yeah nebbiolo was just something we both you know had a real affinity for um and we knew about the malakoff vineyard in the pyrenees and nath yeah like he he referenced just badgered to get fruit from there and we got lucky in that they said yeah we've got a couple of ton we can do you so okay we got that um, yeah, and it was just, just trying to think what, what varieties might work well in a region that are a little bit underexpressed. So the G- idea okay. of doing a GSM from Heathcote was, you know, Heathcote just screams Southern Rhone varieties to me, but everyone just plants Shiraz. So, mm. you know, let's, is there any Grenache and Mavedra up there that's, that's worth, you know, looking at that we can do a GSM blend? Okay. Um, Upper Yarrasav was just when we, first got that fruit was just such a maligned thing everyone was pulling it out um same, th- same thing with riesling i can't believe what like in the, in the riesling's like, i love riesling but everyone just says it's really hard to sell so yeah. you know that it's one of those wines that the public just definitely haven't embraced well the thing with sav from there is you know it's cool so it's not ripening until sort of you know mid-march retains its acidity it, it's rarely tropical it's just much more in a citrusy kind of but not spectrum green and no, um, you can you wait till that's gone and piece, it like, sort of just ripens slowly. Yeah. So you, you you get this yeah you can get it in a really good place and the acidity is still really good, and then just wild fermented and you know a bit of new oak, but don't leave it in there too long. You're just trying to build a bit of texture and structure and a bit of funkiness to it and personality. Yeah, yeah, and it just seemed I don't know, it just it, like we we knew from the first year we took that fruit that nobody else was taking fruit off that vineyard. They were as in. Sab, everyone wanted Shardy and Pinot. And sure. It's crazy now. It's yeah, it's all sold and we take we're gonna take six ton off there next year. But yep. um yep. yeah, it was just a, a this anomaly of it can be a really good drink 
and it's so maligned by sommeliers and by you know wine aficionados and then then the the greater public just love marlborough style sav blanc for some reason you know i'm not going to question that that's that's what people like so but yeah it can be a really interesting complex wine Mm. and and if it's yeah if it's a good side and it's made in a way that it can express itself and have you had an opportunity to actually head over to to Europe to sort of visit some of the the places that my, might have inspired you a bit? No, look, my travels to Europe were all about around music and yeah, you know, as I sort of said earlier, probably the, the uh, finer points of wine were lost on me in those days. And then now I just I seem to keep going to Japan. So yeah, well, I just, yeah, I just have a real affinity for that country. So, yeah. Plenty look, good wine available there too. There is, and it's very reasonably priced, but also I just love sake. So, um, yeah, yeah, like travelled up into the mountains last time to Takayama and all these tiny sake producers, yeah, in this Mm-mm. really old town and yeah, just drink some of those unfiltered um, sake. It's just blow my mind. Um, yeah, so, but yes, it's definitely, you know, the next big trip has to be Europe with, you know, a bit more of a, a focus on uh, <laughs> wine now that I've yeah headed down this path pretty deeply. So, and you st- and no doubt you're still sort of into the the dining scene, that dining sort of situation as well. As far as with you know, oh, with look, great wine comes great food. Yeah, or, I, I guess you know, dining at home more often than not these yeah. days though. And I've got a little kid, a little baby, and and you've been um, a bit less mobile of late. Yes, I've also got my leg in plaster. Yes, so, um, but yeah, it's also I mean you know part of the thing with the business and putting investing so much into it and working you know fairly not not incredibly well-paid jobs in the wine industry to to keep things afloat means you know a lot of our restaurant is on in places i can't sorry a lot of our wine is on in restaurants i can't afford to, to eat in at the moment mm. but yeah but you know whenever the opportunity arises i love getting you know into town mouse is one of my faves around here um you're not yeah. going to hear any arguments from me really good people and yeah and there's some great wine bars harry and frankie's obviously a great spot and sure uh, yeah had a lunch at the Hotel Lincoln the other day. So oh, that's yeah. really good. This guy, Ian X Levita, who's taken yeah, over. Yeah, we opened it. Yeah, that yeah, no, was really cool. Um, have to check it out. So I guess, yeah, things aren't too bad, are they, from the sounds of, sounds of that? But, yeah. <laughs> You're doing all right. Yeah. yeah and right. Um, are the wines being exported at all yet? Not yet, but we're working on it. We've got a pretty strong lead in the US. Um, yeah? Yeah, which we've got some samples bloody stuck in customs at LA at the moment so um oh, god hopefully they will be on their en route soon to New York but mm-hmm. yeah there's there's a couple of really promising leads over there and then we've had some interest from the UK but quantity is a bit of an issue for us too sure. where it, yeah it's it sells well here we have some good people working for us in South Australia and New South Wales and Victoria and yeah. we've got to make sure you know we we look after them and um yeah, it's just going to be a case of growing it. And- There's a story that I heard quite a few times, for example, when I was in France, like in Burgundy in particular, they'd have uh, a Chinese customer come over and try the wines and go, okay, thank you very much. And then they'd send an email you know, a few months later going, we'd like a container of that yeah. wine. It's like, I didn't even make a, a half a container in total. You can't have a container of one wine. That's yeah. insane. I had, um, I had lunch on... This week I had that was our Melbourne distributors lunch and I was Shane from Delamere and Tassie was there who's a really good guy and he's telling me he went to China and it was the same thing they're like well we'll take a container of that and he's like 
we don't make wine by yeah. the container like yeah. yeah we could maybe do you half a pallet yeah yeah there still is that but, kind of disconnect about what wine is and the fact that it's not yeah like a, it's not a commodity product you can't just yeah. make more well it is a commodity but yeah it's not something you can yeah, yeah. you can mass produce every year yeah and, and make it to that quality as well so it's obviously because it's so site driven if you're going to deliver that quality so well, yeah. with that in mind, do you have any plans for any other kind of product that Out of Step might Oh, uh, we're playing around with beer at yeah. the moment. Yeah, that's sort of Nate's been bitten by the beer bug and mm. then been slinging me books about beer and in my uh, convalescing state, I've been <laughs> reading beer books and watching beer videos. And yeah, yeah I mean, we both love beer. And we're, yeah, we, we're obviously expanding the, the wine range a bit next year too. So we'll have our first crack at Pinot. Oh, exciting. Yarra, upper Yarra site next year. Really good vineyard. Probably won't say too much more about it than that. <laughs> and we're going to do Central Victorian Shiraz for the first time as well. Um, from a, yeah, some, we've managed to find some best sold block clone um, on a oh, right. very highly regarded vineyard. So, um, yeah, so yeah, we should do. Oh, and we've actually taken on a little vineyard of our own too. So that might be the. The world's craziest field blend. It's Gewürz, Cab Sav, Shiraz, Pinot Noir, and Sav Blanc. Um, well, anyone listening, if you can find a crazier blend <laughs> for a field blend wine. I'm not uh, saying that that's definitively <laughs> what, what we're going to do, but... The challenge has yeah. been set. <laughs> yeah, we'll just see how it goes. I mean, yeah, it's it, we didn't get onto it till October, but it's been pretty well looked after, and I think we'll get a decent crop off it this year, um, and we'll just see what the fruit what it says to us and sure. what we'll, we'll listen to it and decide what we're going to make out of it. So That sounds awesome. Yeah. Uh, lots and lots of uh, stuff in the works. I'm excited to uh, to, to keep uh, an eye on, on things and sort of see how things evolve. But uh, thank you very much. Yeah, thanks, James. For, it's uh, been for, great. For coming down. And, really appreciate and it. And thanks to, uh, to your chauffeur today uh, yes. for, for bringing you in, into Melbourne. And... Um, Obviously, I appreciate your time. Um, again, what uh, is how can people kind of stay keep in touch and yep. and follow the Out of Step uh, Wine Co um, story? Oh, there's a website, so outofstepwineco.com, and then that's our handle without the .com for Twitter and Instagram. We're probably not the most avid users of social media, but we are on there a bit. Um, or otherwise, yeah. Come in, vintage time, I expect. Yeah, yeah, there'll regular, be probably more activity. Updates. And, you know, we've got our phone numbers and email addresses are on the website. So if people, yeah, want to track down the wines or track us down, we, we both live out in, in Hillsville. Have, have so. a beer in Hillsville. Yeah, yeah, more than, more than happy to sort of, yeah, host small tastings or... Say hello. So, Fantastic. Uh, yeah. And and obviously I um I look forward to hopefully in the new year having you both on uh Let's Taste Live. Yeah, we'd love to do that. Um for let's sure. let's do a, a live streaming YouTube tasting. But uh thanks again and um let's keep in touch. Yeah, cheers, James. And thank you guys for listening to uh, the second part of the, this episode of the Vincast. I have been James Scarsbrook, otherwise known as the Intrepid Wino. Uh, of course, uh, I would love for you to follow me on social media, uh, Instagram and Twitter. Uh, you can find me at, uh, at Intrepid Wino. And the podcast is on Twitter at the Vincast. Uh, head to the Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Intrepid Wino. Uh, and like, 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 like. Um, and of course, as I mentioned, um, I, I do live taste, uh, sometimes live, but uh, let's taste videos on my YouTube channel, Intrepid Wino, uh, include, which is all about Australian wine, basically. Um, 
if you want to subscribe to the podcast, it's a really fantastic way to be able to download the episode as soon as it becomes available. Uh, and if you do subscribe, then please, please uh, spare a few minutes just to give me a rating and a review. No matter what the platform is, it is really fantastic uh, a reference, uh, not, for, not only for myself, but also for listeners and also uh, possible guests who might want to be on the podcast, but want to he- kind of hear from the actual listeners. Uh, so engagement is really uh, important to me. So of course, head to intrepidwino.com and find out how you can actually get in contact with me uh, if you want to be on the podcast or if you want to make a contribution to the podcast in some way or if you just want to suggest someone you'd like to hear on the on the show please let me know i hope you enjoyed this episode thanks again to dave and uh, of course to nathan for being on uh, on the podcast i really appreciate it thank you for the bottles that you generously uh, donated i look forward to having you both on a let's taste live in the new year uh, thanks very much, guys. I hope you. Um, I hope to see you on the next episode. But until then, bye.